Welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. My name is Anthony Oliver, and today we're going to talk about the challenge of building the skilled workforce fit for a modern railway. In the five years to March 2024, some £50.6 billion will have been invested to run, maintain and enhance the UK national rail network. And the current expectation is that some £44 billion will be committed for the next CP7 period to 2029. And these are in anyone's book vast sums of money. I mean, it's clear that the UK's rail infrastructure takes a lot of looking after. And that requires a skilled and experienced workforce, not only to keep the system running effectively and efficiently, but also to continually embrace new ways to manage the assets. And it will require new technologies, new new techniques, and much learning from other industries. And to do that means training a new generation of rail worker and upskilling the existing cohort. Uh, One capable of placing the UK rail network at the heart of this integrated modern transport system that we all demand so much. So to discuss how to make this happen, it's my pleasure, therefore, to welcome Neil Robertson, Chief Executive of the National Skills Academy for Rail, um, who is unquestionably the man with the passion and the experience to meet this challenge. Neil, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. Anthony, thank you very much, and thank you for that excellent introduction. Much better, if I may say so, than than ChatGBT could have done. Well, that's high praise from you there, Neil. Thank you very much indeed. Let's get straight into the issue, Neil. I mean, there's a huge amount of money being committed uh, to the rail sector, but equally a huge amount of pressure to drive up efficiency and to drive down costs. You know, do we have the skills required? Yes, we do, but... We are having, because these are skills, there are skills shortages, we're having to pay slightly over the odds for them in a number of cases. So we've got wage inflation. So we're, we're buying our way out of a problem rather than training our way out of a problem, or partly anyway. So what we want to do is train our way out of the problem, i.e. increase the number of people new and upskilled to, to meet the demand. And the second thing is we've not yet hit the peak So the data shows that 2026 about then is the peak. And at the moment, we don't we don't have the workforce for that. But we've got time, but not a lot of time. Well, I mentioned there's also a changing landscape as we increasingly seek to, you know, to use digital solutions and accelerate delivery of better outcomes. I mean, is the sector fit for this future? Uh, We are on track for it. I think what we would say is we're not where we would like to be now and hence programs that you know about, the modernisation and the the digital uh, investments. So we're not quite where we need to be. There is lots of great practice of applications of new technologies and we see it on our network on HS2, on in the underground, every day. These are not as systematic as they should be. So we're quite good at at, at doing it, as it were, but we're not good yet at making it the norm. So the answer, I suppose, another way of putting it is we 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 can see where we want to be, but we're not quite there. I'm, I'm slightly worried because I know, for instance, that Network Rail has great plans, you know, for you know modernisation of maintenance with this infrastructure maintenance program that's going to embrace data and remote monitoring, you know, and a range of kind of train-born digital assets over the next decade. I mean. I, I worry that that is actually deliverable. What do you think? Well, it, it, it's not, uh, as of today, 
because we don't have the, the workforce for it, and neither does anybody else. So the, uh, these skill shortages in relation specifically to data, some of the things you mentioned are generic. Everybody wants data analysts and data scientists. Everybody wants cybersecurity people. Everybody wants systems engineers, and most people want, uh, <coughs> want coding and software managers. So we are not alone in looking for them, and there are nine vacancies for every candidate of data analysts, which is slightly terrifying. What, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> so we've, we've got the same problem everybody else has got. We've got the advantage that we know how to do apprenticeships, and we've been doing them for about a million years. So apprenticeships are a very good way of developing that kind of workforce. We're, we're, we're less, we've, we have the disadvantage that our uh, working environment is not always the most comfortable working environment. So, you know, we're not in the East End of London with avocado sandwiches and Guatemalan coffee. We're possibly out on a track at night or in a depot in a some of the most beautiful places in the country like Derby and Crewe and York. Now, some people like that, but some people would prefer the East End. So we do, we are competing a little bit. And of course, the financial services have, have very deep pockets. Well, you have a great way of explaining that, Neil. I love it. You know, but you know, let's get to the nitty gritty. Given the huge pressure on public funds today, you know, do you think the industry is giving good value in return for that multi-billion pound investment right now? Yes, I do. Because we don't just measure the, the kind of the, the cost, it's the value. And rail has got about the third best social value of any investment the government makes. So we're not the best, but we're about third best. And actually, the one, we're doing enough on the other ones. So rail creates good jobs, very good jobs, in parts of the country where we need good jobs. So it's got a very high rate of return for social value. So the answer is unequivocally yes. But what we what we could we could be a little bit cheaper, and that's really the, the question: is how can we be how can we te be ten percent cheaper because of improving our investment in training and skills? Which brings me to the National Skills Academy for Rail. Uh, it's been around since two thousand and ten as a not for profit membership organisation. Its mission is to support all parts of the rail industry to acquire, maintain, and develop the workforce needed to deliver this world class service. Um, so, I mean, tell us a bit about it. I mean, how is it helping to transform the sector? We we are uh, a, a body that sits in the middle of industry, government, and. Uh, learners effectively so we we are objective and our job is to catalyze people support people to do this so that that's very clear uh, so it's not completely our fault that we haven't got enough people you could say it is <laughs> if you're being unkind uh, and the, the 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 true answer to the question if you're going to measure me harshly on that is I'm not measuring you. I'm not measuring you. Neil. I'm <laughs> you just are, asking the question. You're a, you're a, a naughty journalist. So, so <laughs> we we've done together. We've done a great job of increasing the supply of new skills. So we are now doing two and a half thousand apprenticeships a year, up from about seven hundred. So that's a significant jump. But we could all we could all stop there and put our feet up and uh, congratulate ourselves. But we better not because actually we need to do it again. I we the truth is we need five thousand a year, not two and a half thousand. And that's across the entire. I mean, you talk about apprentices, but it's, it's across the entire school range of the industry. 
the, every, every part of it. The, the infrastructure side, which is the part that you, I think, are closer to, has the bigger problems. So uh, the train operators are, are, are quite well served in that respect. And uh, it, it, and they've made good efforts. So the number of train drivers, we've heard a lot in the press recently about there not being enough train drivers. And that was true. It is true still. But the industry has met, has responded to that demand and is now training over 900 drivers a year, which which is the right amount. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I know your, your survey, let's talk about your recent survey. I know that that's revealed that, you know, that, that I think uh, the Drain Driver Apprentice Programme has saved, you reckon, about £90 million pounds, you know, for the tox each year. You know, what, what else is hot off the press in terms of headlines? You know, where are the pinch points? Well, if, if I was a parent, and I'm often asked this question by my friends who are parents, what would be what where, where are the skills shortages and what would I be advising their children to do? And one family I know very well have actually listened to my advice, so that's great news. Uh, so, <laughs> very good. News, in yeah. the following order: signalling engineering, uh, high voltage engineering, digital, especially data, and then and then you're into slightly more specialist. Stuff like project management and uh, and some of the broader engineering, such as civils. Yeah, so we it's in that order, and those are the disciplines we're well understood. But for various reasons, we've just not got enough people. So if there's any youngsters listening to this, if you want a happy, secure future life without weighed down in debt, the opportunity to see the world, then those there's the advice. And if you're thinking of a change of career, Anthony, I think for you, high voltage is my recommendation. That's very good of you to say so. I'll bear that in mind. I mean, fundamentally, though, would you say you're feeling confident then about the direction that the industry is going in terms of meeting those demands? Uh, I would give us seven out of ten. So the first three out of ten is do we understand and accept that, that, that that this is an issue? Yes. Are we starting to do something about it? Yes. Is that having an impact? Yes. So all, all good so far, right? Is it enough? No. Any of any obvious quick wins that you can see coming out of the latest survey findings? Our ability to workforce plan. Now that sounds a dull activity, and it, it is in truth, but it's a very important activity. Planning our workforce. So in the past, we said, right, we want a bridge. Let's work back. So t- for ten years, we can we know what we're going to do the next day to make sure that bridge is in place, and we're very good at it because that bridge is there and it's still there. But we treat people like nuts and bolts. So we say, ah, we're going to need some people tomorrow. Let's go and see who's in the market. Like in the medieval times, let's trot down to the the village square and see who's hanging around. Who's got breath on the mirror? So imagine for a minute, Anthony, this, this dream where we take a scientific approach to our people as well as our project planning. It's not rocket science, by the way. Well, that, of course, is what the National Skills Academy for Rail is all about, is building those long-term routes. And I will give you the opportunity, as you probably forgot to mention it, but your Routes into Rail website has just been revamped, which I imagine everyone who is interested in their career should be going to. Thank you, Anthony. Yes, it's, it's, it's a way of helping young people understand the opportunities, and, uh, and it's put slightly more calmly and responsibly than I put it to you earlier, because we don't say this job is better than other ones, though it is. We don't say things like that. But we do talk about the facts, because we like to lie to kids, don't we? Tooth fairy, Santa, you know, d- dream on. We, we, people have more advice over which, 
which kind of uh, coffee to buy than what job they do in their life. So we're trying to correct that imbalance. And we've just refreshed the site and uh, we're getting good feedback on that. But I mentioned the scientific approach. Well, the first step is to get young people studying the right subjects at school, college and university. Secondly, we want the right people to be applying for our very good apprenticeships when we offer them. And we do get a very good response, but we want a bit more diversity in that response. And then thirdly, we want them to stop wasting money on uh, pointless university programs and pursue college and uh, college university programs that will lead to a job. And if that sounds like Mr. Gradgrind from Hard Times, then I make no apology for that because I'm only following what people are saying. I even read it in The Guardian this week. So it must be right that, that young people are waking up to the fact that coming out of university with a whole load of debt and no prospect of a house is really not great. No, well, they, the numbers that I quoted at the top indicate there's a lot of public money, there's a lot of private money going into this sector. So get on board. Um, let's talk about you, Neil. You've led the National Skills Academy for for the last seven years. Your background is originally from the uh, with the the Department for Education and Skills, and you've you know, worked to build skills in the energy and the utility sector previously. What makes you so passionate about skills? <laughs> I've seen the I've seen it change lives, genuinely transform people's lives, opportunities. It transforms communities. Uh, you a new. A new it doesn't have to be a railway, a new factory, a new thing coming in that creates jobs is transformative of communities. And you just need to look at communities that have lost it. You know, mining springs to mind where people have just lost that skill. It, it deflates, it depresses every aspect of it. So skills are transformative. The other thing that skills do is it's something we can export so people can travel the world. The British skills system, believe it or not, is valued all around the world. Wherever you go, there'll be a British, even a Scottish engineer popping up saying, I, it's legal tender and I, we're building this bridge here in the desert. But that's what happens, you know, because you can travel and our skill system's good. So investing your own money and your parents' money, as well as government money, in your own career, in, in skills that are relevant, is, is one of the best investments you can make. It genuinely is. It's better than Bitcoin. You heard it here first. Invest in your skills, not Bitcoin. Passion is just written all over you, Neil, and I, I love that about speaking to you. What, what, do you, what do you do when you're not driving this, uh, you know, the Skills Academy uh, work? What do you do, what do, you do to, to wind down after you leave work? Well, I do something that you may disapprove of, <laughs> which is I ride a motorbike. And I know you think that ped human power, Anthony power is enough, but I prefer about 100 horsepower is a, is a good number. So that's one thing. And I know... I've ridden motorbikes. I've ridden motorbikes. Don't worry. I've, I've just grown up, Neil. I've grown, I've grown <laughs> up. <with them. laughs> I've yet to achieve that, Anthony. But, but you know, it, it, is an, it is an issue that, you know, there's, I talk to lots of wise transport correspondents, and they refuse to accept that motorbikes are a, should be a central part of the transport policy. The, in DFT, with the, with the previous ministers, they had pictures of motorbikes on the, in the ministerial suite. Sadly, they are gone. Grant Chaps took them away, and he prefers aeroplanes, doesn't he? The other thing I do, and you might be interested in this, or you might think I'm a weirdo, is I plant trees. Oh, I don't think that's a weirdo, no. No, good. Well, I plant trees, and, and, and these are just these are native trees. They're not like cacti or something like that. They are proper trees, 
and some of them grow. Anywhere particularly you plant them? In Scotland, in a very unpromising place in Scotland. So I feel sorry for those trees because they were happily in a nursery somewhere in a polytunnel and now they're in a very harsh environment. But, you know, they've got to learn the rules. Final bit about you, which is getting increasingly interested. You had a spell as a chief executive at the British Institute of Innkeeping. I mean, tell us about that. That sounds like a dream job for some. I, my chairman once told me in one of my quarterly reviews, said, Neil, you're not going to the pub enough. Now, I wrote that down because I felt that that was not something I was going to hear in a quarterly review again. It's brilliant. And I've recently just joined the board, or the people board of the British Horse Racing Authority, which is another interesting uh, industry because it's run on passion. Yeah, it's run on passion, but the together the, the two of those industries together with uh, actually in a different way the problem I described there with the engineers they take their people for granted, and that's problematic. So there was the, the, my job there wasn't to get people passionate about their jobs. They were they were passionate about they loved hospitality. Who doesn't like a party? Who doesn't like a pub? But. What they didn't do was pay enough attention to training and retaining their staff. And because they were excited about, you know, pubs or horses or some other thing, they expected everybody else to be. And guess what? <laughs> other people have to be, you know, so we have to create a professionalism uh, in these industries where, as well as just passion. So we're not trying to kill the passion. Uh, far from it. Let's get back to the rail industry. I mean, do you think that this leadership is one of the biggest skills gaps in the rail industry today? I think there's two aspects to the leadership. There is leaders, current leaders, recognising the importance of people. And I was implicitly critical earlier because I said that engineering-led businesses take people for granted. So I think we're now in a situation where leaders are becoming aware or are aware, but they haven't necessarily put all the, the you know, as leaders, they haven't then put lots of managerial processes in place, like workforce plans. So do leaders recognise the, the issue and the problem? Yes. Are they using all the tools in the box? No. The second thing is, are we training our leaders? And the answer to that, I'm afraid, is rail is the lowest of any of the infrastructure sectors in terms of the amount of training of leaders and managers and supervisors that it does. And again, it's something that's recognized, but we're not we're we're behind in terms of doing that. Why don't we train? Why do we only train 16% of our supervisors properly? Supervisors are the frontline men and women. They are the people that are creating a safety culture. They're at the sharp end. They're dealing with the problems. Why are we not equipping them more? So I'm you can tell that's something that we are we are concerned about and actually it's one of the biggest opportunities because we have a safe railway that delivers now imagine what we could do if we trained our people <laughs> in in leadership and management well that, a lot of that safety comes from the fact that the rail sector is notorious for its rules and its regulations you know and they're there for a very good reason you know to you know, to, you know but they're often there as a hindrance to change you know i mentioned these new programs such as infrastructure maintenance and, and the move towards data and digital i mean is this uh reluctance to change going to hold the industry back it is already, yes. Firmly, decisively, yes. We have accretion. Now, if, if geologists would tell you accretion is when you build up layers of things and it becomes something else. <laughs> you can tell. Right. <laughs> you know, that's as far as I go with geology. But they, we, do that with, we do that with rules, safety rules. So we, we layer them on top of each other so that it becomes a stack 
And, and it's very hard to rethink those because everyone's rightly concerned about the implications of it. And, uh, you know, we don't employ risk takers, thankfully. Yeah. Do, would you want a risk taker running your railway? No, thank you. But it does mean that we are extremely cautious and people with innovations tell, tell us all the time. That's why we did Living Lab, by the way, because we're trying to help the, re reduce this fear of, and Living Lab was around showing, demonstrating that you can do things differently and nobody will get hurt. Well, let's talk about that. You know, the, the transforming infrastructure uh, ties living labs. You know, you were driving those on behalf of or with the DFT, Department for Transport. I mean, basically, it's about testing new ideas and ways to improve uh, rail and construction, uh, particularly maybe around digital data and new materials. Um, I mean, what is, is is that making progress, given the, the background you've just set out around reluctance to change? Yes, yes, it is. It is. No, no question. And my usual caveat is I'd like a bit more. But it is making progress. And, you know, we, we're, we're encouraged by wider construction and wider civil engineering here. And you're an expert in these topics. And, you know, we're, we're, we're behind house, house building for uh, off-site manufacture. We're behind other sectors for, in terms of digital design, digital twinning. We're behind the military in some of these respects as well. But we are starting to do it. And so one of my favorite examples, and, it, you know, it's, it sounds a bit dull, but, you know, that, that's, that's okay, is uh, cable route management on the tube. Next time you're on the tube and you get stuck between stations, and I hope you don't, but if you do, look at the wires it, it, and then think, imagine trying to do something with those. Well, we've been, that, that's, I mean, that, it's, 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 it's that problem, and TFL applied digital winning effectively to that problem and they've saved many years they say in terms of how quickly they'll be able to upgrade i mean i remember i remember hearing about that project you know fascinating as you say it seems very dull but it is a fundamental part of what makes the railway work i mean you've published quite a few other case studies uh i mean are, are they, they're all out there to, to look at now these success stories they are they're on the, the website and please look at the ties the Ties Living Lab website, because it's got all of them, and they've all been, you know, they've, they've, it's all there and very clear, and the partners have done a great job, I think. And you chaired our conference very, very skillfully, if I remember. So so thank you for that. But no, it, they're, they're there. And, and this thing, you know, and it, we, we, we're we measuring carbon, we're measuring social value, as well as, uh, it's not just all about digital stuff. And there's, there's also even a bit of AI in there. I know that's I know that flavor of the month at the moment, but you know we have, we've got some bright academics working on this well before Chat GBT was thought about. They're just not as good at marketing, I suspect. That's good. To hear. Well, let's just let's just wrap up now. Just I mean, I mean, finally, innovation is clearly going to be at the heart of the rail sector as it moves into CP7 and drives towards a safer, more effective future. I mean, at the end of CP7 in 2029, what's your vision for the modern rail sector workforce? How will it be different from what it is today? The, the first vision is that there'll be double the amount of money spent on training and innovation to make it normal. So we are, there's normal, we are half of normal in terms of investment. So there's, there's a vision. And that the CP7 contracting environment creates incentives for people to invest because there are some disincentives at the moment. So there's my first one. Second one is around the, the, the workforce itself. It will be digitally equipped where appropriate, digitally able and competent where needed, and this, this will include a lot of data analysis. We will be using data, not just burying it or ignoring it. 
We will also have multi-skilled people. Jobs will be more interesting. They'll be more varied. And I will be able to do, if I'm in the maintenance work, I'll be able to do more things. And this will make my job better and safer because we will have fewer people on the track. Not because though, not that we're, we'll be losing any jobs, by the way, because actually we've not got enough. So there's more work. Anybody who wants a job who's got one now will have one because, but they might be doing something slightly different. But really, it's about more for the same. So my dream is more for the same. And that, by the way, would reduce 10% of our cost. So you use some big numbers. In five years' time, I'd like to think that we can be 10% cheaper by way of unit cost. And that's quite a big number. Brilliant. Neil, thank you so much for joining me today on the Infrastructure Podcast. There is a huge and incredible amount of passion coming out of the National Schools uh, Academy for Rail. If you don't know about it, uh, um, then do go and find out what Neil is up to there uh, on, on the website. Uh, it's a huge amount of going on there. Thanks so much for your time, Daddy Neil. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks, Neil. That's all we have time for today. But we have more from the Infrastructure Podcast in the pipeline and more guests to talk to as we continue to probe the big issues faced across the sector. If you haven't done so already, do check out the new Infrastructure Podcast website. That's www.infrastructure-podcast.com where you will find background information and all the latest podcasts to listen to and to share. So thanks for joining us and thanks again to Neil. I look forward to seeing you all again very soon.